Good morning. My name's Ethan. And our scripture for today is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed, for not even one who has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said to them, This is what I will do. I will here tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God? And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they will neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom, no barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near moth nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you this morning and your word is even now resonating in our ears, may our hearts be that fertile, good soil. Uh, Lord, if our hearts are hard, break them. Uh, break up the fallow grounds and make this word fall upon ears and upon hearts that it will bear much fruit and will bear fruit into eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. It was a story that shook the world. In the autumn of 1955, 
five young men dared to make contact with a Stone Age tribe deep in the jungles of Ecuador. They attempted to contact a people whose previous encounters with the outside world had only ever been violent ones. The five men initially enjoyed some success. Their gifts were well-received, their linguistic training beginning to unlock doors of communication with this tribe. But on January 8th, 1956, the five men failed to radio home. As their wives and children listened for the call at the appointed time, there was silence. The radio was silent because seven of the tribesmen had suddenly turned on and speared to death all five men. The response to the news of their deaths, as you can imagine, was mixed, with some saying that these five men had foolishly thrown away their lives. What could possibly justify such a senseless loss? What could possibly justify such a sacrifice? A sacrifice that made their wives widows, that made their children fatherless, that made their parents grieve the loss of precious sons? Why in the world would they take such a risk, such a foolish roll of the dice with their lives? Many people are asking those questions. And the answer came from a direct quote from the journals of one of those five slain men, from a man by the name of Jim Elliott. If asked, why be so foolish with your life? Jim Elliott would reply, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Hear that before? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott wanted people to see that he and his four friends set their faces to go into the jungles of Ecuador for the sake of a savior who set his face to go to the cross of Calvary for their sake. Jim Elliott's now famous quote, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, is just a concise summary of what Jesus says here. In Luke chapter 12. In Luke 12, Jesus has his face set toward Jerusalem. That is, he's he's going to the cross. He knows it. And on his way there, he is unpacking some big truths for us as he interacts with people along the road. On his way to make the great exchange, exchanging his righteousness for our guilt, Jesus teaches us about the wise exchange. Exchanging what we could never keep For what we can never lose. Jesus shows us how to swap our temporary treasures in this world for eternal ones. He teaches us how to let go of our greed and worry with one hand and take with the other being rich toward God. Jesus teaches us how to make for ourselves money belts that do not wear out how we can start living now for things that will last forever. What Jesus has to teach us today, you will be forever grateful to have heard. Literally. You will be eternally glad you were here today if you walk away taking what Jesus says to heart. Because the truth Jesus speaks here not only impacts how we experience this present life, 
but how we will experience everlasting life. Rightly understood and applied, what you hear Jesus say today will change your life. And more profoundly, it will change how you experience the life that is to come in a world without end. I hope you're intrigued because I am not overstating it. If anything, I'm struggling to state it strongly enough. I'm struggling to convey just how important this is. I feel ill-equipped to capture your imagination with the great things Jesus says here. I'm going to try. I'm going to work hard to convey these things, but it's probably more important that you work hard to hear them, to grasp them, to have what Jesus says here capture your imagination and heart. I'm going to group what Jesus says here under four headings, if you're taking notes this morning. Four headings, and they all are stated as commands. These are things Jesus commands us to do. And the first is this. Beware of greed. Beware of greed. We see that in verses 13 through 15. As Jesus is going to Jerusalem, a teachable moment happens on the road. And here's what prompts it. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Someone stops Jesus and asks him, as you would a rabbi, to weigh in on a family dispute. Jesus responded in verse 14, but he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Notice, Jesus widens the scope of his audience. He goes from talking to him in verse 14 to talking to them in verse 15. This is now a teachable moment for everyone. Who is present. Verse 15, here's what Jesus wants to teach. He said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus says, Beware of greed, for your life will never consist of your possessions. Beware of greed because the quality of your life does not correlate with the quantity of your stuff. You already know this to be true. In our hearts of hearts, we all know this to be true. Life is more than stuff. You know that. We all know it deep down. We all know it when we hear it. But we also quite often are so quick to forget it. Nearly every commercial you'll see on TV this week asks you to forget this essential truth. Nearly every advertisement you'll ever see is lulling you to sleep. It's putting you under an enchantment. The advertiser's spell is only broken when you realize this, that not even when you have an abundance does your life consist of your stuff. You know that's true. When you hear it, but we are also so quick to forget it. We're so easily deceived into believing that true happiness lies in something I can reach out with my hands and take to myself. Isn't that part of the original lie? 
It's part of the original deception in the garden. That real life stands on the other side of taking hold of this thing that looks good and desirable. We can know that Jesus speaks the truth here. And yet, like Adam and Eve, we can still fall for the lie. We can know this truth and still fall for the lie about our possessions again and again and again. That's why Jesus tells us to beware, to be on our guard against every form of greed, because greed at its heart is deception. Greed is built upon the deception that says, I'll be happier if I have this thing. My life will be better if I just had that. I'd finally be satisfied if I just could have that house or that spouse or that income. The grass looks oh so greener on the other side of that fence. Greed is such a destructive bit of self-deception. Greed is so destructive, God makes it one of the Ten Commandments. Remember this? It's the final commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet. Be greedy. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or his servants or his animals or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Greed, coveting, begins with deception. If I could have what my neighbor has, my life would be oh so much better. If I could just get that promotion, if I could just make 10K more a year, then I'd be happy. But you won't. It's a lie. Not even when you have an abundance does life consist of your possessions. Proverbs 37 says, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. We all know. That the real substance of life, the real substantial things in life, joy, purpose, gratitude, love, don't flow from our possessions. But our possessions can drain out of us the real substance of life. The path to joy, purpose, and love once stood open before a rich young ruler. But he turns away from it. You remember the story? He turns away from it sad. He turns away from Jesus sad. And the reason given in the text is for he had great possessions. His possessions possessed him. His possessions possessed him, not the other way around. Jesus would spare us. He would spare you. He would spare you from a wasted life enslaved to the pursuit of stuff. Jesus would set you free by alerting you that there is a slaver out there. He's coming for you by telling you the name of the one seeking to enslave you. His name is greed. Beware of every form and every guise of greed. Greed promises to give you much, but it will drain you dry. Jesus says, beware. That's our first heading. Beware of greed. Here's our second. Be rich toward God. 
be rich toward God, verses 16 through 21. Jesus doubles down on this teachable moment by telling a parable, which seems like he invented on the spot, y'all. I mean, can you come up with a story on the spot that is this clever, that would be written down and talked about again and again and again? I bet you couldn't. The genius is here in Jesus. Look at verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. Then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's the phrase, rich toward God. Jesus tells us a very likely story. A certain man oversees a business that has done well, land that's done well. It's done so well, in fact, that he needs a bigger place to store all his wealth. And he says to himself, it's time to retire and live off the fat. It's time to take it easy and enjoy myself. This man thinks he's done well and wisely, but God has another word for it. A very different word. God's word for it is foolish. Foolish. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool. You fool. What makes something so reasonable in the eyes of man so foolish in the eyes of God? It seems reasonable enough. Work to make a bundle and then retire to enjoy it. What makes something so reasonable in the eyes of men so foolish in the eyes of God? At this point, I hope you're leaning in, intently listening, like you would when someone tells you why they were arrested and their crime sounds a lot like what you do every day? <laughs> why is working so hard to retire and building bigger barns for yourself so very foolish in God's eyes? For starters, God sees the whole picture. He sees people living for futures that will not come. They're foolishly living for futures that they will never see. It is foolish to live all your life for a future season that doesn't come. If you're not fully living now because you think real life only starts in the next season, that's foolish. You're not promised that next season. The man wasn't promised retirement. You're not promised that next season, whatever it is. All you ever have is right now. All you ever have is right now to live with all your might and make it count. I think that's some of the reason why God calls this man a fool. But we get even more of the reason why in verse 21. Look again at verse 21. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself, double underline that, for himself and is not rich toward God. 
If you don't want God to call you a fool, if you don't want to walk in this man's footsteps, you need to ask yourself this question. What should the rich man have done? What should he have done? We see the foolish thing he did do in verse 21. He stored up treasure for himself. We see the foolish thing he did in verse 21, but we also see the wise thing he should have done. He stored up treasure for himself, but was not rich toward God. In contrast to storing up treasure for yourself is this, the possibility of being rich toward God. These two alternatives are set in opposition in the text to one another. What should the rich man have done? Instead of building bigger barns for himself, he should have used his worldly, worldly wealth to be rich toward God. He should have used his wealth to help the poor, to care for the vulnerable. Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, The one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will repay him for his good deed. Jesus unpacked this same truth in John 14, if we were to turn over two more chapters, when he said, when you give a reception, what are you to do? Invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The rich man should have invested his worldly wealth in a way that would be repaid on the last day. Repaid in a way that he would have forever. Instead of foolishly storing up for himself in a place where it all too quickly would be snatched away from him. The rich man should have wisely invested his treasure in heaven. He should have exchanged his earthly treasures for heavenly ones. He should have used his temporary wealth to gain eternal wealth. In the words of Jim Elliot, he should have given up what he could not keep to gain what he could not lose. He should have made the wise exchange. Exchanging what can be lost, stolen, corrupted, and burned up for what can be never lost never stolen, real treasure kept safe in a world that is incorruptible and imperishable. In this story about the foolish rich man, Jesus boldly puts his finger, 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 finger on the lie that most people are believing and living for. Most people are living like this life is all there is. That's what the rich man was living like. This life is all there is. Even many religious people who say they believe in a life to come functionally live now like this life is all there is. We might say there is more with our lips, but with our lives and our checkbooks and our possessions, we act like we believe the lie. And we live foolishly storing up treasures for ourselves here instead of using our little earthly all to be rich towards God. During our Nehemiah series that we finished a couple of Sundays ago, we saw that God doesn't need our money, but we need to give. 
It's for the good of our hearts, we're told, to give. Our hearts need to be able to let go of our stuff, our money, our possessions. That should be reason enough. But here is reason on top of reason. God doesn't need our money, but he is giving us the opportunity to trust him by making the wise exchange. Exchanging stuff that we can never keep for heavenly treasure that we can never lose. It takes trust to do that. It takes faith. But if the one in whom we have believed is trustworthy, then we have made the wise exchange. Swapping our worldly treasures now for heavenly ones to come. Investing our worldly goods now in his heavenly kingdom. We have the opportunity to make this wise exchange all throughout our lives. Not just when we have arrived at a season of plenty. We don't wait. We have opportunities to make the wise exchange all throughout life by giving to advance God's kingdom in our local church, by meeting needs that God puts in, our, in front of our paths, by helping those along life's way that we'll, we will one day spend forever with. Be rich toward God isn't for some future season. It begins now. Obedience always starts today. Making the wise exchange always begins now, today. It's kind of like coming to Jesus. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come to Jesus at all. If you wait to invest in heavenly things until you have an abundance, you'll never give at all. Investing in eternity is for every season of life. Students, working adults, senior adults. It can even be for after you're gone. Am I right, Joey? Uh, Joey Hocutt does this for a living. Helping people invest their temporary barns they've built in gospel work that will last forever. And very often, I'm told, giving tax-free to your heirs as well. So there's, there's benefits all around. If that intrigues you, uh, we'll have Joey share with us uh, more about that some Wednesday night soon. That's a bit of a commercial. Uh, you can thank me later, Joey. Uh, but it's, it's a commercial calling you to do the eternally wise thing, which no other commercial you'll see today will, will do. Okay, but sometimes we know what the wise thing is, but we're afraid to do it. We're worried. What if there won't be enough? We're anxious. Will God really provide for us if we let go of our money for him? Jesus knows we are naturally prone to worry about such things. And that's exactly where he goes next. We're told to be rich toward God. And we're told, thirdly, be free from worry. Be free of worry. Be free of worry Look at verse 22. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Jesus commands us not to worry in verse 22. And for the next 10 verses or so, he gives us reason after reason to obey him and not worry. 
He says, don't worry about necessities like food or clothing because, verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Be free from worry because life is more than the physical things that you worry about. It's more than the putting of food on the table. Life's more than that. It's more than putting clothes on your back. Focus on living for God and don't fret over those things. Why? Verse 24 tells you why. Look at verse 24. If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? That wasn't verse 24. Verse 24, sorry. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, they neither store they have no storerooms nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Consider the ravens, Jesus says. Watch the birds. It's a command. Be a bird watcher is a command. Because you'll discover a bit about God's intimate care as you obey that command, as you watch the birds. You'll see him daily provide for them and their needs. Which should make you ask, if God cares so much for the birds, won't he care much more for me? Jesus says, you are far more valuable. You are far more valuable to God than the birds. You are a person made in his image. You are a person being remade in his image. Your character. (laughs) Believer, you are a child of God. You are worth more of his care. So, be free of your cares. Recognize this. Worry is a fruitless exercise, verse 25. And which of you, by worrying, there it is, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Your worry will not add one single moment to your life. But your worry will steal many moments from your life. Your worry won't change a single thing, but it can change, for the worse, your experience of everything. Worry is fruitless. Part of the reason for that rests in your own inability. Verse 26, if you cannot do a very little matter, why do you worry about other matters? If all you're focused on, if all your worry can't add a single moment to your life, why do you do it? Why do you worry? Perhaps you worry because it gives the illusion that you are doing something. It feels like you're doing something about all the things that feel out of your control. But Jesus says that things don't just feel out of your control, they are out of your control. There are more things out of your control than you know. You can't even do this very little thing, Jesus says, verse 26. You actually need to embrace it as good news that things are out of your control. That would really turn the tables on your worry, wouldn't it? Embracing it as good news. Things are out of my control, and that is good. You can only embrace it as good news if your heart believes that all the things that are under your control 
are under God's control. They are under someone's control. They're under God's control. God's got this, so I don't have to. God's got this, so I don't have to worry. My father is too wise to err, too kind to crush and not heal, too good not to work all things for good in the end. My own inability to control things, instead of fueling my worry, should fuel my sense of freedom. The freedom of the birds should remind me that I should be free from my worry. The freedom of the birds should remind me of my freedom and the beauty of the lilies should teach me something similar. Look at verse 27 and 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Jesus commands you, look at the birds, and he further commands you, look at the flowers. It's hard, folks, to find better mental health advice than that, by the way. Get outside, look at the birds. Get outside, look at the flowers. These are commands from Jesus. Consider the birds, consider the flowers. Birds and flowers are so temporary, and yet God cares for them. He cares enough to make them beautiful. I remember the first time this truth landed upon me with real force. Up until the time I married Lynn, I begrudgingly spent money. Even as a newly married man, I still hated to spend money unless it was absolutely necessary, unless I had to. But in our first apartment, Lynn wanted to buy curtains. The windows look fine without them, I said. (laughs) And we'll probably just need new ones again once we move. Isn't it a waste to make something temporary beautiful? I thought that. But then I realized from Jesus that God didn't think that. God is about making temporary things beautiful things. He doesn't count it a waste. Even though the flowers will go into the fire tomorrow, he doesn't count it a waste. If that's the way God feels about things that are here today, gone tomorrow, how do you think God feels about you? A person in whom he has placed an eternal soul. Aren't you worth much more? Aren't you much more his workmanship than the flowers? His work of art that he is still sculpting. His trophy of grace that he is making beautiful. Won't he clothe you better than the grass and better than Solomon one day? Yes. By his grace, he will. So don't worry about what you wear now. Instead, rejoice in the thought of how he will adorn you forever. And Jesus just keeps going. It doesn't stop there. Look at verse 29. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. Here's a reason not to worry. 
Worrying is worldly. It's what the nations, the peoples of the world are doing. They seek these things and they worry about them. Worrying is just plain worldly, Jesus says. Now that may not be an argument that does it for you. But Jesus knows it will for someone. Someone will realize that when I worry, I'm acting just like everyone else in the world. I'm acting just like an unbeliever who doesn't think anyone is on the throne. I'm acting just like an atheist who doesn't believe anyone's in control. There's no guiding hand here. And that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. Don't worry because it's worldly. And because God knows what you need. Verse 30. All the nations of the world eagerly seek these things, but your Father knows you need these things. God knows you need food. God knows you need clothing. He knows you need to pay your rent. He knows your needs better than you do. And he knows what you need before you ask. You're not giving God any new information when you tell him how much you need something. He knows what you need. And he will give you what you need if you will listen to this command. Verse 31. But seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. In a complex world full of needs, God has actually made it pretty simple for us. Hasn't he? Just seek first his kingdom. Seek to advance the word of his kingdom in the world And everything else you need will be given to you when you need it. Everything you really need in order to seek first his kingdom will be provided. That sounds pretty great, you say. But what about Jim Elliott and his four friends, you ask? They seem to be seeking first God's kingdom... And they needed protection. And God didn't provide it. What then? What do you say? No, he didn't. Because this time, he gave them something better. God didn't give them protection because he intended to give them paradise. He brought them directly through the gates of splendor into the kingdom that they were seeking to bring others into. They gave up a life they could not keep, but they found a life that they will never lose. And through the story of their sacrifice, thousands and tens of thousands more said, yes, we will go. We will go. We will give up our sons to spread the message glorious. Seeing the very worst that can happen mainly serve to make many believers unafraid. And Jesus wants us to be unafraid. Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Jesus wants us to be unafraid because... And to be unafraid because we are fixing our eyes on something that's coming. Fixing our eyes on the future. This is our fourth and final heading. Be fixed on the future. 
Be fixed on the future. Again, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make for yourselves money belts that will, which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is what the rich, foolish man should have done. Verse 33, sell your possessions, give to charity, make for yourselves money belts which will not wear out, unfailing treasure in heaven. With a heart fixed on that future, the rich man should have cheerfully given his temporary goods in the present, knowing he was making for himself a money belt that would not wear out, treasure in heaven that would never fade. He should have made the wise exchange, giving up what he could not keep to gain what he could not lose. But instead, the man showed where his real treasure was. He showed what really had captured his heart. Not heaven, but earth. Not the massive glory of God, but the minuscule glory of retirement had his heart. His taste buds for glory were too small. Like the Grinch who stole Christmas, his heart was too small and too distracted by the stuff of this life that, that life really isn't about. And any who down in Whoville could have told him it isn't about the stuff. The stuff doesn't matter. And Jesus has told us all these things so that we may not make the same Grinchly mistake. He has told us these things so that our hearts might grow and that we might live differently. So that we might make the wise exchange, giving up the riches we cannot keep to gain riches we cannot lose. Trading the resources that are fading for a reward that is everlasting. Exchanging our little earthly all for a greater capacity to enjoy all that heaven has to offer. If that's really the case, you might be asking, how much? <laughs> how much do I obey verse 33? Sell my possessions, give to charity. How much do I sell and give away? My response to that question isn't a rule, but another question. How well do you want to do? How much do you want to pay forward by making this wise exchange? How much of what you are destined to lose anyway do you want to freely give up now to God? How well do you want to do? Remember the wise exchange. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot said that, and he gave his life believing it. He gave his life for a stone-aged tribe to know that truth as well. To know the Jesus that he knew. If you didn't know Jim Elliot's story already, then you don't know what comes next. Not only did their deaths start a new wave of missionary movement for the gospel, but Jim Elliot's wife, Elizabeth, went with another of the slain men's wives with Jim's child in her arm, kids in their arms, and went into the very same jungle 
to the very same people. There they spent years loving them, serving them, living life side by side with them, with some of the very same men who murdered their husbands, looking them in the eye every day. But by the grace of God, those same murderers, they now call brothers in Christ. A people who dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. Not the light of the missionary or even the martyred missionary, but the light of their Savior. The light of the Savior who they loved more than they loved their lives. The same Savior who made a great exchange for their lives and for our lives. He made the great exchange for us so that we might make the wise exchange. Giving up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. Heavenly Father, may you make the words of Jesus come alive in our imaginations and hearts. May you capture our hearts with the wisdom of laying down our earthly treasures to take up everlasting ones. May we not put it off for a future season of life, but may we answer that call today, wherever we are, however we are able to give, that the gospel might go forth, that the the ministry of this great good news, this joy for all nations might be made known through the sacrifice of Christ might be made known through our sacrificial giving to make him known. Lord, write this upon our hearts. Uh, May every single person here embrace Christ and embrace the wise exchange of laying down all that we are, laying down our very lives, all of our resources at his feet, that we might take them up again forever. Lord, we thank you that we have such a good Savior who treats us so with so much kindness and love to make it so plain for us how we ought to live and follow him. But we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.